This morning as I begin the message, I have a quiz for you, and the quiz is about world monarchs, kings and queens who have shaped the outcome of history. So are you ready? Okay, so here's the first king that I'm thinking about. He was the king of England, famous for his six marriages and for establishing the Church of England. Uh, I heard a pastor quote this king as he was beginning his message on Sunday morning. He told the church what this king told each of his wives. I won't keep you long. So who is it? Does anybody know? Yes, it is. King Henry VIII of England. Now, here's another um, monarch. This Russian monarch had the longest reign of any female Russian leader. She organized a coup that actually overthrew her husband and greatly expanded the Russian Empire. And this one's a little bit more obscure, but that is Catherine the Great. Now, here's one that's maybe a little bit easier. Uh, this leader was an outstanding military strategist who rose to prominence during the French, that's a key word, French Revolution, and conquered much of Europe in the 19th century. He was quoted as saying, never interrupt your enemy when they are making a mistake. Now, does anybody know who that might be? Yes, Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, here's another. Um, this is a queen, Queen of England. She was the daughter of Henry VIII and his second wife. She never had a husband and saw herself as married to her country. And that would be Queen Elizabeth I. Now here's another. This um, monarch was a king who succeeded Queen Elizabeth and sponsored an English translation of the Bible for the Church of England that was published in 1611. King James, that's right, King James of England. And finally, this modern-day king presides over a multinational organization founded in 1953 that is headquartered in Dade County, Florida, and has over 17,000 locations worldwide. You probably wouldn't guess this one. There you go. Couldn't resist. Burger King. Now, seriously, seriously. Um, can I get a handheld mic, please? Um, our world has been shaped by powerful leaders, and today we're going to focus on a world leader that has been referred to as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And of course, I'm talking about who? About Jesus Christ, our King. And today is a very special day that's being celebrated around the world. It's called Christ the King Sunday. Now, all of us have calendars that we, uh, we keep, and we have important days on these calendars, things like birthdays and anniversaries and graduations. Um, we have Mother's Day and Father's Day. We have all of the events. But for centuries, Christians have been working from a different kind of calendar. It's called the liturgical or church calendar, and it has events like Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas. And so this Sunday is actually the last Sunday of the church calendar and it's called Christ the King. And so we're going to be focusing on what it means that Jesus is the King and what it means when you embrace him as your King. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the life that you have and the life that you want. The life that you have right now and the life that you want. Now, there is probably a gap between the two, between the life that you have and the life that you want. And so often, the life that we have can seem at times monotonous and repetitious, um, and it feels like this. You wake up in that same old bed, 
and get in that same old car and go to the same old job, work for the same old boss, do the same old things over and over again, and then you come home to the same old house and the same old spouse and watch the same old TV show and go to bed and get up and do it all over again. And then there is this life that we really want, and this is a life of excitement, a life of enthusiasm. Now, of course, it's not a perfect life because we don't live in a perfect world. There's heartache and disappointment and, and there's frustration, but when you wake up in the morning, you're excited because you're looking forward to the day. You believe that there are all these possibilities and there's a great purpose for you to accomplish. Now, church family, I believe this with all my heart, that the best way to close the gap between the life that you have and the life that you want is simply this, by embracing Jesus Christ as your king. And this is what Jesus taught. This is what this book, the Bible, says, that an entirely different kind of life is available, is possible to those who allow Jesus to rule in their hearts by embracing him as their king. So today we're going to explore how you can have that kind of life, how Jesus can change your life when you embrace him as your king. And there's some very important questions that I want us to answer this morning, and here is the first. What kind of king is Jesus? What kind of king is Jesus? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some verses that are usually associated with the Christmas story. These are found in Matthew chapter 2, and if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, it's on page 783. But here is how the story begins in Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The Christmas story begins with two kings in conflict. In fact, these two kings, King Herod and King Jesus, are on what you might call a cosmic collision course. On the one hand, you have King Herod, who's addicted to power, and he's not going to ever let go of the power that he holds. And then you have King Jesus, who is a very powerful king but wants to use his power to help people and heal people and to change their lives. Now, when King Herod hears about the birth of this rival king, he's very disturbed, especially by the title, King of the Jews. Now, why is he so upset? Because that's his title. That's a title given to him by the Roman Empire, and he is going to do anything he can to keep both his title and his power. And that's why the people of Jerusalem are so disturbed, because they know King Herod. He has quite an impressive track record when it comes to eliminating his rivals. He actually ordered the execution of his wife Miriam and three of his sons. He was a brutal dictator who did not care for the people he ruled over. Now, in contrast, you have King Jesus, who was born during a time of great turmoil in Israel. People were hoping for a good king, a righteous king who was coming. And that's the first thing that I want you to see about Jesus. Jesus is a righteous king. He's a righteous king. Right now, our country is going through what you might call a very contentious and divisive time politically. There's all kinds of scandals and special investigations into the conduct of our political leaders. But I think regardless of your political persuasion, you would agree with this. We want leaders we can trust. We want leaders who will tell us the truth. We want people in positions of authority who have integrity because those are the kinds of people that we want to support. Those are the kinds of people that we want to follow, and that's certainly true of King Jesus. Why should we follow Jesus as our king? Because he is what kind of king? He's a righteous king. Now, when Herod 
hears about this child who's a, pot a potential threat to his throne, he calls together the religious experts because he wants to figure out where this king is going to be born. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter six, uh, chapter two, verse six. But you, Bethlehem, and this is a prophecy from the book of Micah in the Old Testament, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, who is that referring to? To Jesus, our king. He's coming to be a shepherd to God's people. And Jesus says this about himself in the book of John in terms of being a shepherd, and this is in Spanish, yo soy el buen pastor, el buen pastor da su vida por las ovejas. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Because he's a good king, a righteous king. And look at this verse. This is from Psalm 89. It says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Now, remember this idea that there's a gap between the life that you have and the life that you want? Well, Jesus wants to change that. He wants to close the gap by giving you a new life. And the way that he gives you a new life is by giving you a new heart where more and more you're becoming like him. And here's what I want you to see, and this is so important. Because Jesus is a righteous king, he wants his followers to be righteous as well. But what does that mean? Well, simply it means this, to have a right relationship with God where he's at the center of your life. And you have this purpose and this power and this peace because God is with you. Because now things are okay between you and God. So the question is, how does that happen? How does a person get a right relationship with God? Well, that is the, the gospel. It's the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is this. When you're born into this world, you're not okay with God. We're born into the world with a heart that's at odds with God, a heart that pulls us away from his purpose and his plan. And we see in the Bible so clearly that, that we have this spiritual problem. We're separated from God because of our sin, because we don't love God the way we should. We don't love people the way that God commands us to. And not only that, because God is perfectly just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And the Bible is clear that punishment is to die and to be separated from him forever. But here is the story of Christmas. A king is coming, a king who's gonna make it possible for our relationship with God to be restored. And so on that first Christmas, Jesus Christ, the king, steps out from heaven across the stars. He's born in a manger, our humble king, and he does what no human being has ever done. He lives a perfect life. He grows up, he starts traveling the countryside saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. I'm the king. Repent and believe the good news that an entirely different kind of life is possible. If you'll do this, if you'll embrace me as your king, if you'll allow me to rule in your heart, I will change your life. And as the story continues, of course, there's a, a plot to kill Jesus. And he goes to a cross and he dies in our place so that our relationship with God can be restored, so that we can be forgiven. And when you trust Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm a sinner. I need a savior your relationship with God is restored. Now, I'd like to um, ask for a volunteer. Let me just see if I can choose somebody to illustrate something this morning, okay? Um, Martha, would you help me this morning since you're right there in the front row? Um, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a piece of paper right now. Let me just come down. Um, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your name at the top of this piece of paper, okay? And here's what I want you, imagine that I just gave you a piece of paper, all right? So in your mind's eye, or you could even do it, if you have some paper in front of you, write down your name. All right? Now, this paper is actually your test for your whole life. 
And I want you to give yourself a score, how well you did, okay, from zero to 100. I hope nobody writes down 100 because that's just not true, right? Um, I would give myself maybe a 40 because I get it right less than half the time when it comes to really loving God and loving people. But, you know, write down a number there, okay? Martha, if you'll do that. You have a number? Okay. Um, okay. Uh, it's really low. <laughs> Now, here's the thing, you know, no matter how good you are, um, you wouldn't have 100, would you? I mean, if you were Mother Teresa, you wouldn't have 100 or Billy Graham or whoever you choose. So here's the thing, you don't, you don't have a right relationship with God because you're a good person, because you can't be good enough. You can't get 100. Now, Martha, I'm going to hand you another test score, okay? And can you tell me whose name's at the top of that? Jesus. Okay, what, what score did he get? 100. He got 100. Okay, now here's, here's the gospel story, and this is so important. When you follow, take your score back, okay, when you decide to follow Jesus, when you say, you know what, I need a Savior, I have not obeyed God's commands, Jesus, I want you to, to show me how to live in this world. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is what he does. He gives you his test score. So Martha, you now have what? You have 100. So when God looks at, at you, it's as if you never sinned because you have the perfect score of Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible talks about when it says that we've been given the righteousness of Christ. Now, here's the great thing. Let me have your score. Okay, you know what God does with this? He tears it up. It's destroyed at the cross. It no longer exists. Isn't that good news? Because, listen, when you're a Christian, you now have a new record. And you have a new identity because you're adopted into God's family. You have a new potential because Jesus now lives in you. And here's the thing that I want you to see. Jesus is a righteous king, but when you come to believe in Jesus, you are declared righteous as well. And that's the next thing on your outline this morning. As a follower of Christ the king, you are declared righteous. And I want you to look at this verse. This is a powerful verse from Romans chapter 3. It says this. But now, a righteousness from God. See, Martha just received a righteousness from God because of the work of Jesus Christ. A righteousness from God, apart from the law, apart from being a good person and keeping the Ten Commandments, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes how? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Man, that's some good news. Jesus is a righteous king, and as a follower of Christ the king, you too are declared righteous. And here's what I want you to see. This idea of being righteous means that you're okay with God, you have a right relationship with God, but it is this relationship with God that affects every other relationship in your life. See, God wanted to reconcile us to himself, but he wants to reconcile us to each other. And I'll tell you, that's so important during the holidays because there's a lot of families that need some reconciliation during this time of year. Isn't that true? Um, and here's the thing. When you decide to follow Christ the King, he gives you the power to love. He gives you the power to forgive. He gives you the power to extend grace to other people so that there can be restoration and reconciliation. So back to our original question, what kind of king is Jesus? First of all, what kind of king is he? Okay, he's a righteous king, but here's something else. Jesus is also a suffering king. He's a suffering king. Now, as the story in Matthew continues, the wise men eventually find Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and then they're warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod, so they go home a different way. And this is what happens next. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, and here's why. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod is intent on killing Jesus. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Now, think about the reality of doing this. I mean, this is some kind, sometimes called the flight to Egypt, but they didn't go to Bethlehem International Airport. I mean, they had to go on foot or by donkey. There was a long and difficult and dangerous journey. And consider this, for Mary and Joseph, this little baby had turned their world upside down. I mean, they had a plan for their life. And God completely messed up their plans. I mean, they had no idea how their life was going to unfold. And what's amazing to me is right here in this passage, we see a foreshadowing of the suffering of Jesus and the suffering of those who will follow Jesus. I mean, think for a minute about Joseph. Now, here's a guy who decides that he's going to go ahead and marry this young woman that he's engaged to even though she's pregnant. That destroys his reputation. And now an angel tells him, hey, you've got to run to Egypt. Well, he's got to leave his, his job. He's got to leave his home. He's got to leave his country. And I think about this, the, the night that the angel visits Joseph in the Christmas story and says, you know, um, it's okay, um, that baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I can imagine Joseph thinking, really? This baby's going to save his people? He can't even save his own family. And the question is, you know, why would God put a story like this in the Bible? And I believe here's the reason. Because when you lose your job, when you lose your home, when you lose your dreams, when life isn't working out the way you thought it would, don't give up and don't despair because there is a king who knows what it's like to suffer in this world. And think about Mary. I mean, her experience is it's just amazing. I, I wonder as they're traveling to Egypt, you know, they're running from this, this murderous king who's trying to kill her two-year-old son. You know, what's she thinking about? And I would imagine she might have thought about the day that Joseph and Mary went to the temple with Jesus. He's just eight days old. And this old man named Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, God, thank you that you let me live long enough to see the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And then he looks at Mary and he says this. This is a prophecy. He says, this child is destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel. And Mary, a sword's going to pierce your own heart. And that certainly came true because Jesus suffered greatly in full view of his mother. And here's, here's the thing that, that I want you to consider. When people looked at what was happening to Jesus, they probably thought, he's not much of a king. Because kings aren't supposed to suffer. Kings are supposed to be strong. Kings are supposed to fight back. And when the soldiers arrest him, when they crush a crown of thorns on his head, when they give him a robe of purple and mock him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, Jesus didn't look like much of a king. And then as you read that account in Matthew's Gospel, the, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he parades Jesus in front of everybody. The Jewish nation says, Hey, here's your king. What should I do with your king? And here's what they say, crucify him. And you may recall that, that Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the people say this, we have no king but Caesar. Now, can you imagine how that pierced the heart of Jesus? He had come to seek and to save the lost. He had come to lay down his life, and he's totally rejected, totally abandoned by the people he came to save. But here's the thing. 
When your heart is broken, when you feel abandoned, when you feel alone, when you feel rejected, does Jesus get it? You bet he does. And here's the thing I want you to see, church, and this is so important. As a follower of Christ the King, you share his suffering. Jesus walked the path of suffering, and so do his followers. Look at this verse written by Paul, a follower of Jesus. He says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Now, here's the reality. You know, sometimes when you go through a really hard experience in your life, you can kind of take a step back and go, you know, I believe that that God is, is in charge. I believe that he cares about me. I think that, you know, this is actually for my good because it can give me a stronger faith. It can deepen my prayer life. Um, it can work on my character. But here's something else I want you to realize. When you go through suffering, it doesn't just affect you and it doesn't just benefit you. It benefits other people because that was true of Jesus. Did the suffering of Jesus Christ benefit us? Well, absolutely. And, and I know right now, a number of families in our church that are going through some really intense times of suffering. And their suffering is benefiting other people because other people are watching and they're seeing a faith that is strong. They're seeing a faith that refuses to give up or give in, a faith that says, you know, I still believe that God is good. I still believe that God is in charge. I still believe that God cares. And when people see that kind of faith, it, it draws them a step closer to trusting Jesus themselves. So, what kind of king is Jesus? He's what kind of king, first of all? Righteous king. Secondly, he is a suffering king. And here is the third thing I want you to see. Jesus Christ is a victorious king. And I am so glad that he is. Now, check out this passage again in Matthew chapter 2. It says this. After Herod, and what's the next word? Because so Herod's dead. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, and Joseph is thinking, oh no, here we go again, another angel. But this is good news. Get up, oh, I've heard that before. Where are we going now? Well, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Go back home for those who were trying to take the child's life or what? They're dead. Now, this is really fascinating because this again is a foreshadowing of the victory of Jesus Christ. He's just a kid, but he's alive and all of his enemies are what? Dead. See, nothing could stop the plan of God. No one could oppose the mission of Jesus Christ. And so he, grow, he grows up, and he begins traveling around telling people, hey, I am a king. I came to establish a kingdom. But the religious leaders hated Jesus, and they hatched a plot to take his life. And on a Friday afternoon, outside the town garbage heap, it looked like the Roman soldiers had succeeded where Herod had failed because this man Jesus was on a cross and above his head was a sign that said king of the Jews and now the king of the Jews was dead but who had the last word God Almighty because Jesus Christ is not only a righteous king and he's not only a suffering king he's what kind of king he's a victorious king and the lion of Judah roars back to life Jesus Christ is raised from the dead because he is a victorious king. And I want to show you this verse. This is such a powerful verse. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, For he, Jesus Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? It's death. 
I have spent most of my adult life fighting death. When I was a paramedic and a firefighter, I did that every day. I lost over and over and over again. But Jesus comes to this world, and he wins the battle against death. I was thinking about this just just yesterday. I was um, conducting a memorial service for a, a man, a member of our church here, Ron Heglin. And his family's sitting in the front row, his wife. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I am so, so thankful that Jesus comes to bring us comfort in the face of death. And he does. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just come to cry alongside us. He cried when his friend Lazarus died. But then what did he do? He raised his friend to life. And that's what Jesus does because he's the victorious king. And one day we will share in his victory. And what a hope we have because of that. And that's what I want you to see, church. I hope this is such a deep encouragement to you today. As a follower of Christ the King, you share in his victory. We share in his victory. There's a book that I read about a year or so ago called Soul Keeping. It's by Pastor John Ortberg. And he's got some great insights about Jesus as our king. And one of the things that he points out in this book is how the disciples were always asking Jesus questions. Hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Hey, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Hey, Jesus, what does that parable mean? I just can't figure it out. They were always asking Jesus questions. It's sort of like little kids. If you're a parent, you know how that goes, right? Little kids, it's just like one question after another. Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why does the car go? Here's the thing. Deep inside the human heart is this fundamental question, why? And when life is hard, that question wells up in our heart. God, why does this, why does this kid have cancer? God, why did my husband leave me? God, why won't my daughter talk to me? God, why does my dad have a debilitating disease? And the questions go on and on. And I was thinking about it. You know, before Jesus goes to the cross, he makes an amazing promise. And it has to do with asking questions and getting the answers. In John chapter 16, he tells the disciples, hey, I'm going away, but in a little while, you'll see me. I'm going to be gone for a little while, but in a little while, I'll be back. And they're totally confused. They start to ask Jesus all these questions, and Jesus does this. Time out. Listen. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, disciples. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And then Jesus says this, and this is really a dramatic statement. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Really? No more questions? Yep, no more questions. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, you know, Jesus said, hey, in a little while you'll see me. It's been how long since Jesus went home to heaven? Yeah, over 2,000 years. I guess in the scope of eternity, that's a little while. But right now on planet Earth, there is such turmoil and chaos and poverty and crime and injustice and, and disease and all this stuff going on. But Jesus said, I'm coming back. And when he does, it'll be a new day, right? Because one day, Jesus will make all things new. One day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And here's the thing. On that day, the victory of Jesus Christ will be complete, and we will share in that victory. That's an incredible hope, isn't it? And I would, I would, I would pray that it comes quickly. In fact, that's what we're supposed to be praying, that Jesus would come back to this world quickly. And you know, um, 12 o'clock today would be great.
right? Wouldn't it? Really? But if that doesn't happen, and it might not, based on previous experience, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to keep on trusting and hoping and praying and believing and carrying out the mission of Christ our King. So real quickly, and I mean real quickly, let me walk you through what it means to embrace Jesus as your King. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. The first thing is this. Embracing Jesus as our King involves a change in our allegiance, a change in our allegiance. Um, you know, when I was a kid, maybe this was true for you, um, I went to a public elementary school, and every morning we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. Um, do you know the Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag? It goes like this. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. Isn't that magnificent? Because when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your allegiance is to Christ the King. We sang a song this morning that says our citizenship is in heaven. And here's the thing. Another word for allegiance is um, loyalty or commitment. And the truth is that your life and my life are dramatically shaped by the commitments that we make and the commitments that we keep. And the most foundational commitment of a Christian is to follow Christ our King and to do what he says, even when we don't necessarily feel like it. I mean, think about this. You know, Jesus, as our King, says, hey, I want you to pray for your enemies. Do you ever have a hard time praying for your enemies? You ever have a hard time forgiving people who have hurt you deeply? Jesus knows this. And so as our king, he doesn't just issue commands, do it or else. No, Jesus, our king, says, listen, ask me, and I will give you the desire and the ability to obey my commands. And that's what we need to do again and again. Because when we follow Jesus Christ, he has our allegiance. Here's something else. Embracing Jesus as our king involves a change in our values. Our values. What does this world value? Well, we know fame and fortune and success and image and independence and the list goes on and on. What does Christ our King value? Honesty, truth, grace, humility, sacrifice. When you become a follower of Christ the King, you adopt his values as yours. And finally, here's the last thing. Embracing Jesus as our King involves a change in our priorities. And Jesus was so clear about this. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. But seek, what's the next word, church? First, first priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a right relationship with God. And all these things that you worry about, food, clothing, shelter, all this other stuff, will be given to you as well. Now, here's how people often think about their life. You know, we have these different parts of our lives, like we have our spiritual life over here, and we have our social life over here, and our work life over here, and our family life over here. But this is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Picture a, a bicycle wheel, okay? And at the center, the hub of this, of this wheel is God. And then the spokes are the different parts of your life. You know, your, your social life, your work life, your uh, spiritual life. All these aspects of your life are connected to God because God is at the center. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And there's an absolutely beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament. It's where God is telling Israel, hey, I want you to go and take the promised land, but here's how I want you to get there. I want you to take the tribes, there are 12 tribes, and I want you to arrange the tribes around the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. And so this was God's plan for them to take possession of the land, to enter the life that he had promised. I want you to move forward in faith with me at the center. 
And that's how they did. That's how they marched in the battle. That's how they actually took the promised land. What does that mean for us? Embracing Jesus Christ as your king means this, that you move forward in faith with God at the center of your life. And so church family, on this last Sunday of the church calendar, on this Christ the King Sunday, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to fully embrace Jesus Christ as your king and to move forward in faith with God at the center of your life. And I want to do this as well. Um, there's a, a very brief but powerful message by a pastor. His name is S.M. Lockridge. It's about three minutes long. Some of you have heard it before, and uh, I'm excited because we're going to hear it again. And this message is called, That's My King. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feet. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop it. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my 
He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's right. Would you pray with me? God, we're so thankful for Christ our King. So thankful, Lord, that he is a righteous king, and because of him we can be righteous too. God, so thankful that Jesus suffered for us and that in our suffering we can be pressed close to him. And God, today, thank you that Jesus is our victorious king, and we can and do share his victory. And Lord, I just want to pray this for the person this morning who has never embraced Jesus as their king, that today would change their life, change their story. And listen, if that's you today, you can just in your own way, in your own words, tell God how much you need him. Right here, right now. Just say, God, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And I believe Jesus died for me. And I want to live for him. God, you always run to rescue us. Thank you that the gospel is true. Thank you that the gospel gives us hope and strength to live in a broken, fallen world. But God, we are looking forward to the day when Jesus will return and make all things new. Father, help us until that day arrives to keep on hoping, to keep on praying, to keep on believing that you are good, that you are God. And Father, as we sing this last song, we rejoice that Jesus our King has come to our world, and we rejoice because we know that one day, Lord Jesus, you will come back. Lord, please accept these words and, and this music from our hearts because we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand and sing together this morning?